0: With first quarter 2023 already outpacing the entirety of 2022, the 1847 financial teams, when compared to peer solo advisors, had 143% more life insurance sales, 199% more annuity production, and a 381% increase in investments. Today, our guest is Steve Good, Director of Practice Development for 1847 Financial. Steve, it almost seems impossible, these statistics.
1: Yeah, it's it's crazy when you take a step back and look at them, right? But it's just proving out that there's efficiency in scale and there's efficiency in numbers and, and bringing more to the table.
0: You having extensive experience as a top performing life wholesaler for a Fortune 100 financial services company, you then shifted to agency leadership. Brought to Boca Raton by fate, Steve works alongside co managing partner, the legendary Jim Meehan, commonly known as the father of financial services teaming. Thank you so much for joining us, Steve.
1: Absolutely. Looking forward to this conversation.
0: I invited you on my sales team podcast series because you have a front and center role being responsible for growing, supporting, and scaling teams across 1847 Financial in Florida and the Southeast. What's the difference about teaming at 1847 Financial versus other firm models you've seen?
1: That's a great question, and I think it's it is the secret sauce of 1847 is how we team, how we set these things up. And listen, it it certainly starts at the top. You know, you mentioned a little bit earlier, but you know, Jim Mian is is really one of the founding fathers of teaming, right? And the thoughts and the philosophies that he created with partners has really been something that resonated with me. And then when you throw in Lisa Davis, our other managing partner, and and her extremely unique background from Cornell and restaurant management, and not looking at the business as as the the sales person or the insurance person, but the business person, it really makes our conversations different. We're not just saying, oh, we're going to take the insurance person and the investment person and partner them up, and boy, howdy, look where it's going to be. Or we're not taking the you know, experienced rep and the junior and putting them together. And here's a succession plan. It It's really about bigger, deeper conversations. It's about figuring out how do you partner maybe very unique skill sets or very unique markets? And then how do you scale those together? And how do you drive it? And again, that, that was for me, my driver, when I, I had the opportunity to join them was to learn with them, to grow with them, but then to take some of the the successes that I've seen in other organizations in my time and kind of sprinkle that on top of what was already a a pretty compelling story for teams.
0: Well, and when you look at it, the proof of concept was proven in another organization and then it was recreated again, probably even better and stronger when Mian came to Penn Mutual.
1: Yeah, th- that's exactly right, and I think that's really the the exciting part for 1847. Right, was you had a chance to hit a reset button, but not start at zero. Right, so you got a chance to to start new and start fresh, and double down on the things that worked, and maybe walk away from some of the things that didn't work. And Candidly, that's what I talk about a lot of times when when I'm recruiting advisors, because I think one of the things that's unique for me is, I don't just look at teaming within the agency and say, hey, how do I take Joe over here and Bob over here and partner them up, but how do I go take Joe that's a company X and Bob that's a company Y, and how do I bring them to 1847 and put them together and, and build that team? And that whole philosophy is that, right, is let's go hit that reset button, let's start fresh and build something the way we want it built and create an entity that we want to create.
0: And you're talking now about your idea to create a Teams 2.0. So tell us more about what it looks like and how does it work?
1: Yeah. So again, I think as an industry, we do a really bad job oftentimes with teaming because we look at it as Here's the experienced rep that maybe has 5, 10 years left before they want to retire. Here's this fabulous up-and-coming junior, and she's hitting the the prime of her career. And let's put them together, and they'll be a great team. Mm -hmm. With no thought about philosophies, with no thought about um, markets or skills or other things that are important to those individuals. And then we all question six months later why it fizzled. Right, or, or why it did work. And what we try and do, how I try and approach a, a team is really understand what's important to the individual and where do they want to go? Right, what are they trying to build? What do they want their practice to look like, say, in three years or in five years? And, and what's that goal? Because once I have that in mind, it's really easy to go out and say, Okay, so I need to go find this producer that can come in and do this. Right, what's the financial professional that can come in behind? And help make that organization grow. So it's not just your traditional junior, senior, again, investment insurance person, but sometimes it maybe is putting two investment people together because they're going to look at things differently. Maybe one is going to be more focused on um, retirement plans and pension plans and that kind of world. But but there's a lot that's left off the table when those things are done. So so can you maybe partner two investment people together and, and create something out of that?
0: Your strategic brain is very um, impressive.
1: I, I, don't, I don't know if I agree with that, but thank you.
0: <laughs> How do you head off threats before teams are formed?
1: Listen, for me, everything is about communication. And as I look at teams, the teams that work the best communicate the most. The teams mm-hmm. that fail the fastest communicate the least. And that is always what I try and get across when it comes to talking with teams, whether it's ones that are already up and running or ones that, that we're working on creating is making sure that that communication is always there. And more importantly, making sure that it's not one sided communication, because oftentimes, right, there'll be the, the team lead and then there'll be the, the 1B or, or something along those lines. And it tends to be a little dictatorial, right? It tends to almost be a a parent talking to a a child and and a lot of those communications. And nobody wants that to be the long-term relationship. Uh, At some point in time, we all left our parents and and living with our parents. It's not because we didn't love them, but because we were tired of being told what to do. And and oftentimes in partnerships and in teams, you'll see that, that one has more of that parental, here's what we need to do kind of role. And eventually the other partners don't want to be engaged anymore. Those teammates don't want to be there anymore. So that good communication, that honest communication where you can have a, as we like to call it, an at-the-line communication where everybody's equals, everybody can share opinions, and it's not right or wrong. It's for the better of the team, for the better of the organization, to be able to have that kind of open dialogue and open, open talk with each other.
0: I mean, communication is so critical. I love that you bring that up. And I love that you say that the best teams have the best communication.
1: There's a team in my past that I had an opportunity to spend a lot of time with. And when when they knew consistently, hey, we're going to meet on this date and here's the things that we're going to get through, it takes that day-to-day pressure off. Because it's not, oh, well, when are we going to talk about that or when are we going to do this? They knew they had a set time frame, whether it was once a month or every couple of weeks, that it was a no-holds barred. Let's talk about what's working, let's talk about what's not working. And, you know, like everybody, right? As they grew, as their success grew, eventually they they stopped having those consistent meetings. And unsurprisingly, right? after a quarter or two of not having the consistent meetings, there was a little bit of this that was going on. And then sure enough, you know, about a year later, what was an incredibly successful partnership really fell apart. And it fell apart because of all the traditional, right? Well, this person's not doing that. And that person's not doing this. And I'm better off without them. I'm better off without them. And they dissolved, not because of problems or challenges or the economics not working or anything, that is all simply because they just stop communicating with one another.
0: That is such a heartbreak.
1: I say it all the time. Language is the most important thing in this business. The difference between a producer one year in business and 20 years in business isn't 20 years time. It's 20 years of language.
0: Yeah. Yes. I like to call it unmet expectations. It will break up business partnerships and personal relationships. Mm-hmm. Yep. And So what's your approach when teams have conflict, you see it and they're not resolving it on their own?
1: So, you know, one of the things that I try and get into is to facilitate that at the line conversation. So getting everybody at the table, getting everybody to realize that, hey, we are all peers, right? We are all at the same level. And regardless of stature, regardless of um, commissions or, or whatever you, it may be, a- everybody has an equal voice in those conversations and in those meetings. Now, at the end of the day, there may be one person that, that say is the the experienced agent, right? So certainly they're going to carry a little more weight than what that junior may carry. But ultimately, that is the goal. That is getting everybody to realize, listen, if we don't speak, th- this doesn't work. And that's what we try and resolve in those meetings and in, in that dialogue.
0: So hopefully they care enough about the business and the partnership than their own ego. Hopefully. (laughs) And what are the signs it's time to dissolve this team because it's not working? And how do you handle that?
1: What I tend to see is, you know, pretty far in advance, if it's going to work or not going to work. That's why I say, right, whenever I'm looking to For instance, right now I have a team that's looking for somebody to come and join them. And my all-time comment with everyone I speak with is I don't do arranged marriages, (laughs) right? I'm not going to bring somebody in for the specific intent of I'm bringing this female in to join this team and here's no way. It is, hey, you come in as a producer, you're going to do your thing as as a financial professional with us and you're going to create your own way. And as you're doing it, Hey, listen, if you keep on doing some stuff over here with this group, everybody wins. Right. And that pressure is off now because now we're not in a circumstance where the team feels like they need to incorporate this new financial person right away and have them be, you know, part of the family. The, the new financial professional doesn't feel like they have to prove anything to the group that they're coming in and doing their stuff. So when you do those arranged marriages, right, when you have that, like, oh, here's the team, you fight it to make it happen. And that's when it gets really bad. You can see oftentimes how often are they meeting, right? Again, back to communication, right? How often are they meeting? How often are they having real conversations? Not just what's going on with the Smiths or what's going on with the Whites, but what is going on with the practice, right? what's going on with the team what's going on with staff what's going on with all those things you can get that feel pretty quick
0: yeah i appreciate that angle of your head hunting for the teams but you know the teams intimately so it's it still is kind of an arranged marriage but the way it's done with knowledge of the parties which allows the odds to be stacked in their favor of it being a really successful partnership
1: Yeah, I'd say right to that teaming 2.0, right? And, And kind of the reason I phrase it that way is most of my conversations that I have with folks that I'm looking to bring in to our family, it's very simple. Where do they want to be? And oftentimes I start with that experienced producer and maybe it's the experienced producer that went out on their own because they were frustrated with what they were getting in the past and now they've been independent for the last 5, 10, 15 years. And they're starting to look in the mirror and realize I don't want to do this forever, right? I I want to find a successor. And then you start to have that uncomfortable conversation of do you have a business or do you have a cabinet full of names? Right. Right. Because it's easy when you're looking at somebody's AUM to say, oh, here's our factor and and here's what we're gonna charge, and here's what the value is. But if you've got a balanced producer that has a big insurance book, how do you value that? Right. Especially if the Customer service model is pick up the phone and call the advisor. If that's what the model is, that's a problem. So we get into these conversations with these experienced producers and and help him or her realize, hey, first thing we need to do is create a true client service model, create a true setup that the clients are used to. If I need this, I do that. Not if I need this, call Steve, right? Right. And, and then it's, okay, great. What do we do next? And how do we start to layer these things in? And that all of a sudden increases the value of their business, sometimes 50, 60, 70%. Because just that simple dialogue, just having those simple processes in place makes that business a much more desirable entity for whomever is coming in next, right? Right. And then to me, I look at it because I get the mad scientist hat on, right? And I get to look, start playing and I get to say, okay, so hold on. So your book is this. Can we do this? Is there enough to bring in somebody that can do financial planning? Is there enough to bring in somebody that can do investments? Right. Um, I, I, I see a lot that the generation that that 65, 70, 75 year old producer, we don't make them like that anymore. We don't True. have people that, that come in that that are exceptionally knowledgeable in the pension space, that, that have a, a real, true, deep understanding in investments and insurance and in benefits, and right? It's hard to find that person that can do all of that. So I look at that and say, great, I've got this producer. Let's bring them in. And now let's identify those two, three, four people that come in underneath to really build that team And really create that monster succession opportunity that you can create around some of those phenomenal producers.
0: It's fascinating because you're my seventh podcast on Teams and each of you who has been generous enough to be on my guest uh, has a different approach. There are some nuances that are the same, but it's extraordinary how still innovative and creative you all are able to be even within this box of teams.
1: And I think that's one of the fun things about it, right? Is as much as it's charted territory, right? As much as it's been around for, let's call it 20, 30 years now, the reality is it's still brand new. When you're in 150, 200 year old industry, you know something that's only 20 some years old is still pretty new. And, and so because of it, I think that gives everybody that ability to put their own touch, their own style, their, their own uniqueness to the teaming dialogue. And I don't think anybody's right or wrong from an approach standpoint, the caveat being as long as you're teaming. There was some great work that um, Gamma, Nafa, everybody did, I guess now about five, 10 years ago for Advisor 2020 and Firm 2020. And the whole thing was about what are practices going to look like, and what are people going to be, and and where where is that setup going to occur, and it was that realization that people wanted a team, the clients want to be able to come in and know that, well, I can go to Jack for this, I can go to Diane for this, I can go to Susan for this, and I can go to Joe for this, right, and and know that their needs are being taken care of by this entire group, not I've got to go to this organization and that organization, I can come to you, my my financial quarterback and have all this other stuff taken care of for me.
0: And on top of that, their family's involved in the conversations with the different advisors, and they don't feel left out. So you keep them as a client when the senior advisor retires. Well,
1: listen, as an industry, one of the things that we're horrible at is retaining Gen 2, Gen 3 as as clients pass away. Right. I mean, I've, I know I've been with companies where they only retain something like five percent or 10 percent of death benefits that are paid out. Right.
0: It's shocking. It's, it's shocking. crazy
1: when you think about that, that yeah. you know, most of the time somebody else is going to go manage that five million dollar death benefit that you just placed on that family. And not because you can't, but because you didn't set the plan up with the clients. You didn't set the plan up with Gen 2. You didn't set the plan up with Gen 3 or your organization, right, isn't built to support Gen 2, Gen 3 and and so on. And that's where I think teaming does come into play. And, And that's where I see teams do it better than other solo practitioners because they do maybe already have that Gen 2 person on board. So that Gen 2 person's already engaged with Gen 2 of the clients and they're able to have a, hey, so here's what we want to do, right? And and once mom and dad pass away, it's not, oh, now what? Once mom and dad pass away, well, they're already engaged with the practice. So it's natural that they're going to continue on in that dialogue and in that conversation with you, with the hard work that you put in to create that death benefit to take care of that family.
0: What's exciting about it is that every team that I've spoken with, even though they're coming at teaming in a different way, all of them are one percenters, just like you.
1: It's become harder and harder, I think, to rise to the level that we all want to rise to if teaming is not part of your vocabulary. I just don't see how, given that the economics of where we are, given just all the challenges that are out there, I don't see how you get to those top levels without having a supportive group. And that goes across the board, right? So as advisors, you need that team. You need that group of individuals that are around you to support you and build your practice. Listen, in agency leadership, we're seeing that trend, right? Where firms are consolidating and it's no longer a firm in one city. It'll be a firm that supports four, five, six, seven different big cities because Now you can pull all those resources together. That's the fun thing for me with 1847 is I have teammates in Philadelphia, teammates in Washington, D.C., and Tampa, and Coral Gables, right? So I have teammates in all these different markets. We can draw a tremendous wealth of knowledge from each other and be able to support each other and have it be within our family. That's our rallying cry is one team, one firm, one family. And that push for us to support one another, you don't oftentimes get that when Hey, it's my peer company in Boston, right? Right. Or it's, you know, my good buddy who's running his shop in Denver or whatever it is. Sure, you're friends, but there's a difference when you're on the same ledger than (laughs) when you're with the same company.
0: Right. I can tell you, I just did a podcast with Nash Sabotic, who started in Hawaii and he has 10 plus states across, you know, the country. Yep. So, what advice do you have for team leaders or agency leaders when it feels like growing the teams isn't working? It's
1: like everything else. The first time you picked up the phone to call a client as a new advisor, I'm pretty confident you didn't book an appointment, right? <laughs> I mean, I can give you so many examples, right, of trying to do something and failing. And the difference between the ones that are successful and the ones that aren't is the ones that stopped and the ones that persevere. right? There's no magic. I I'd love to tell you that I'm smarter than everybody else or or that I know more than everybody else. I just look at it and say, this is what has to happen and then find a way to go make it happen. Our our industry is roadblocks and it's how do you react to those roadblocks? We're dealing with a circumstance where we thought we had a set plan, didn't work. So we can look at it and go, oh man, it didn't work. Well, maybe we shouldn't Or we can look at it and go, okay, so that didn't work. Let's try this instead, right? And and I think that's the biggest challenge that I see. And we all know this, right? We coach this with our advisors all the time that the big case blows up or underwriting doesn't go the way we want it to go or the attorney said no or whatever it is. Do you tell the advisor at that point in time, well, you know, sorry, pack it in. and, And no, you tell them, keep at it. And I would tell you, that's the difference is that the ones that are working this, it's not because they're smarter than you. It's not because they're better than you. It's because they just keep at it. They have a process and they know what they're trying to do and they just keep at it.
0: Yeah. You're talking about resilience. It's that you're going to get knocked down, get up, dust off the dirt and get right back in the saddle again.
1: Yep. 100%.
0: Steve, thank you for generously sharing your experiences with sales teams and your 2.0 playbook for exponential team growth. For leaders watching this, the burning question is, what would it mean to you if you were attracting and growing high-performing sales teams within your firm like Steve Good and his partners are doing at 1847 Financial? You can. Start by confirming your ideal vision for your teams and assess what's stopping your ideal from happening right now. If you're curious, have your team leaders take our high-performing teams quiz. You can take it too. It's based on what the top 1% of teams are doing today to outperform their peers. You heard it from 1847 Financial earlier. I'll review the results, plus send you actionable steps your teams can take immediately. There's no charge, only the upside of moving your teams to your ideal. I've helped more than 500 top industry leaders increase performance, results, and profits during the past 20-plus years. To say it's my passion is an understatement. Click the button below this video to take the high-performing team's quiz. Whether you want feedback from me or not, you'll get details on exactly where to focus efforts to improve performance within all of your teams. If you want to learn more about 1847 Financial and Steve Good, go to 1847financial.com. To subscribe to more podcasts like this, visit macaulianco.com forward slash podcast and sign up. Steve, I know our audience has received high value from our time together today. Thank you so much.
1: Listen, Kelly, I am beyond appreciative of you because this podcast and and others like it are what helps the industry get better. And at the end of the day, I'm a full-on abundance mentality person, right? That the better the industry does, the better we all do. And people like you make the industry better. So thank you, Kelly.
0: I'm on that train with you, Steve. Until next time, keep leading yourself and your teams to higher levels of success in all areas of your lives.